you know, I'm a dinosaur. I'm now just, I have though. I'm gonna lie down here in the desert and let the <laughs> buzzards pick me apart. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is March 30th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, just peachy. Sounds great. Um, and on on vacation is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. Hello. I'm joining you from the uh, middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Any any in particular? I'm out of in the. I'm in the desert. Deep desert. Jeff, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm <laughs> fine. I've <laughs> I've been marooned. I'm looking for water, and uh, I did stumble across this laptop, so I thought I'd bang on a pod um, before the starvation suck, uh, sets in. Wow! No, I'm fine. I'm good. That's great. I'm good. That well, thanks so much for uh, for finding a laptop. We uh, we appreciate. I, you that. know, I prioritize, Sarah. I do it yeah. for you. You no, know, I... this is my top priority on Tuesdays, and I need you to know that. <laughs> I, we you know, we all no matter the conditions, that. no matter the setting, uh, no matter what else is going on in the world, hot takedown, folks. What's going on? <laughs> it's as it should be for everyone, really. Uh, hot takedown, the priority. Um, okay, it was a. There's been a lot going on in sports right now. Let's talk for a second about uh, soccer and the. Uh, U.S. men's national team, which did not qualify for the Olympics again, which is that's just apparently what happens. Uh, the men do not qualify for some whatever big event is going on. But is it a big event? Is like, it a big event, it's, Sarah? It's not really a big event because they were playing a friendly with all of their best players at the same time that their, uh, I guess, pathetic under 23 B team was getting swept out of whatever olympic qualifier it was we just didn't care i think and that's because fifa doesn't care about the men's olympics and they've sort of mandated that it can't possibly be allowed to compete in any way shape or form with the precious world cup so that's my opinion about it hot fifa takes i love it it's it's not a great look but again i wouldn't even put it on the same spectrum as the not qualifying for the world cup i think that's right the trinidad debacle as we (laughs) Come to know it. Trinidad and debacle. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. So that's how this, this podcast is starting out. <laughs> what, did you say Trinidad and debacle or Trinidad and tobacle? I said debacle, but uh, let's not overanalyze whatever that was. No. Also, like, I do love the, the battle of the power struggle of these, like, uh, elitist, you know, international sport committees, FIFA versus the Olympic Committee, you know, who has more uh, corrupt clout. Uh, when fighting each other, I guess this proves FIFA has more clout because oh, they yeah. kind of I mean, forced the Olympics to uh, to subsume their their men's tournament into this like you know nothing of a um, you know under twenty three event. Yeah, FIFA is the Hulk Hogan of international sport covering body corruption. You can't you can't top them. <laughs> Okay, on today's show, we'll continue looking at the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments, what's happening with the Elite Eight. Then we'll check in with Major League Baseball. The regular season starts this Thursday, so we'll see who our model thinks is set up to succeed. 
Finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. You know what is wild? By next week, we will be completely finished with March Madness. We are halfway through the Elite Eight as of this recording, Tuesday morning, but we'll know the NCAA tournament champions by our next podcast. The women's final is Sunday and the men's final is Monday. So this is kind of the last chance we have to, you know, wildly speculate about how both tournaments will play out. Speaking of wild, last night's game between UConn and Baylor was very intense. I feel like I, I had played, well, not not really, but it was intense from my couch. Uh, came down to the last second. A lot of people were tweeting that it felt more like a championship game than an Elite Eight matchup. And it ended with a controversial non-call that could have sent Baylor to the free throw line with 0.8 seconds left to play. The team at ESPN Sports Nation proposed that that was part of the game's success. And we see LeBron James tweeting about this game here. He's like the rest of us digesting this foul call, which is the point. The winner is exposure in that LeBron was like all of us watching this game. That so many of us were dialed in at 1 Eastern on ABC when UConn played Iowa this last weekend. There's always been a great product here in the women's game. I'm glad we're getting more opportunities and more big stages to showcase that so people can see what's been there. Both Baylor and UConn would probably quibble with exposure being the winner of that game, but it is great to see that it generated that much excitement online and that the previous UConn-Iowa match was packaged like an NBA game. Neil, is the exposure the women's game seen right now tied to UConn's strength as a program or, or something else going on here? Well, I think for the first time, uh, you know, in, in a while, or at least compared with you know, five, 10 years ago, it's like not as tied to the strength of UConn as a program and really says more about just, you know, women's basketball growing in popularity in general, like without needing UConn to be this overwhelming force. Uh, I think it just speaks to like people are legitimately excited. They're getting into it. And you're right. It was packaged like an NBA game where they took Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers and sort of like they would with LeBron versus Harden or something and and kind of made it about the stars. Now that Iowa game did not live up to the hype. Uh but you were saying that, you know, uh we were, we were talking on Slack that this might be like the next evolution of women's basketball where it's like, you know, first you want to actually just get the hype in the first place, but then now it's it's kind of a positive sign when things get hyped up and then it's sort of like they they don't live up to that because you as weird as that is to say because you see that so much on the men's side where like matchups don't always live up to the expectations and sort of the bar is lower for what is considered a marquee matchup and I think maybe that's a sign of progress as weird as it was to say that's right I think when when UConn was just utterly dominant and they were for a long time. It was it was a blessing and a curse. It was a, a blessing in that it was amazing. They were an amazing team, but at the same time, they did sort of suck a lot of the oxygen in the room. I've seen other programs emerge. You know, just you know, hate to be Michigan bias guy like I am every week, but you know, it was exciting that the Michigan women's team was was making a run this year and, and took Baylor to overtime. And and you're seeing that you know, around the country with traditional basketball, you know, schools, like Indiana and Arizona. Yeah, I I think that's, that's right. I mean, the Arizona-Indiana game last night was also really a, a fun game and also showed, like, an up-and-coming star in Ari McDonald. I think that's what I took away from 
from the hype around UConn, Iowa, you know, sometimes when we focus so much on two players, like like you said, Neil, like, well, okay, this is a matchup of LeBron and, and Harden, and then it's somebody like, you know, someone totally random who actually will hit, you know, five threes and, and take the spotlight away. What was fun about the UConn-Iowa game was Paige Becker's teammates were like, yeah, no, we'll bring the hype. Like, we will have amazing games, and you will know us better. I mean, Aaliyah Edwards, Avina Westbrook, they had huge games, Christian Williams – and and showed the country kind of who they were because of the spotlight on that team, which I think is really fun. You know, we've talked about this a little bit before, but March March is when stars are made. And when you see these players have these breakout performances, when the women's games are televised, you get a chance to see them. I mean, Charlie Collier of Texas will probably be the overall, the number one pick in the WNBA draft. People have now seen her, get to see her tonight as Texas takes on Stanford too. And like, get excited to watch her in the WNBA this summer then. Like, that's how you build the game. And and that's what the tournament can do and the exposure there can do. So I do think, you know, we joke about exposure being not the greatest payment. But I do think exposure is still really important in the women's game and can bring us, you know, such and and brings that excitement and the the care about about the game and the investment in the game which is what we're still going for and i think it's also important that there are these great freshmen it certainly maybe it's a little anecdotal because we've seen you know beckers and we've seen clark and all of this but it does seem like it's nice to have that generation sort of front and center very early where these are players that you can kind of follow for years and years and years uh and i don't know i can't say enough great things about Paige Beckers just being this like magnet for the basketball in a way that is uh, really kind of unlike any other player I think I've seen in a long time no I think that's exactly right we were debating last night on Slack uh you know whether Paige Beckers will leave after her junior year because she will be eligible by the current WNBA calendar that's not something that has come up a lot in the past. So um, it just shows you how far how far we've come. And um, yeah, she's she's going to be so much fun to watch for for a while here. Uh, let's turn to the men's side uh, real quick to talk about where we are there. We have two of our final four uh, contingent decided last night in Houston and Baylor. UCLA needed overtime to hold off Alabama after Alabama tied the game with a buzzer-beating three and then lost convincingly in overtime. (laughs) You know, we actually do know something about how teams behave in overtime after, after furious comebacks like that, don't we, Neil? Yeah, well, you uh, were able to dredge up a uh, journal uh, article from the Journal of Economic Psychology, where they actually did find that, you know, despite the fact that we sort of as sports fans, uh, we, we believe in momentum. Well, maybe we don't specifically, but generally <laughs> the larger population does. Uh, and so if you make this furious comeback at the end of regulation, you you might think you would have higher odds of winning in overtime. But they found that teams that came from behind to tie the game and force overtime just had lower odds to win in overtime, which is kind of what we saw with Alabama and UCLA. Maybe the difference there is that UCLA was the underdog there, and we would have expected Alabama to 
really be able to hold them off, um, you know, in general and in, in regulation. But yeah, th- there's probably something there where if you need to dig out of a big hole at the end of regulation just to tie it, you're probably not playing your best game and the other team is probably playing better and so that would bode well for the team that got tied uh to just you know kind of reclaim the lead in overtime and that's exactly what happened it's really a good if you're down this it's a good uh a good point in the favor of if you're down two go for the win because if you're if you just tie it you're probably gonna lose in overtime uh go for the win hit the three about that ending of that game i I was kind of shocked that they didn't foul Yep. But by the way, kudos to them or not, because that is my least favorite play in basketball is the intentional foul uh, when a team needs three points. Up three. At, yeah. yeah. It really drives me crazy. It, it, it was reminiscent, I think, of the, the Kansas Memphis final where yep. Mario Chalmers tied with three when they had been fouled. foul. Yep. But in that game, it was the opposite. Because um, Alabama, I, I, you know, I was really high on them. And I thought that was just a bad, bad performance. Congratulations, Michigan, on winning the national championship. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask, Jeff. <laughs> just as, Don't make as, me talk about Michigan. <laughs> I am going to make you talk about Michigan. As a Michigan fan, are you worried at all about UCLA? I've been worried. I was worried about the first game. Since Liberty <laughs> well, got hurt, I've, everything has felt like the house money. They kind of been, you know, kind of an afterthought for most of the tournament, and I think rightfully because they lost their best player. Jawan Howard is a great coach, regardless of what happens tonight. I'm very impressed. You know, a lot of it also comes down to teams with really good defenses don't, you know, this is true for Houston also. When you have a really good defense, it's not as flashy and it's, you, you don't get as much attention, you know, I think in the, in the media and as much hype. And I think we're seeing defense tends to work in the tournament. You might say defense wins championships. I, I, I don't oh, want to whoa. say that. I mean, whoa, I, Neil. I could say that, but Neil, that's amazing. I've, I, that's yeah. whoa, that's blowing yeah. my mind. That's a good. You should, you should coin that. You should, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I, I don't know what to make of UCLA at this point because it has been such a bizarre sort of roller coaster of a season for them, where they were like on the bubble to miss the tournament, played their way in, and then they seemed like they were not necessarily facing the toughest path. I mean, yes, BYU, you know, had its moments, but then they only had to beat Abilene Christian. So the idea was like, oh, well, now you're playing Alabama. This is where it kind of ends. They looked like legitimately the better team for like the vast majority of that game uh, against Alabama, especially early in that game. So I don't know what to make of them. Like Michigan has also played well. I will probably have to retract my statement about them being the weakest of the uh, one seeds, seeing as how they are a one seed that is still alive in the tournament, which is more than you could say for other one seeds. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, I think an interesting game, which maybe you would not have expected. Well, nobody would have even expected it to happen. I think for the most part. I mean, I, people were mostly picking Michigan state to beat UCLA in the playing yeah. game, Yeah. which again, guys, can we just get rid of, the playing games I, like UCLA shouldn't be here. This is just, or, or maybe they, sh- maybe they should be here in 64 is just not enough. And we need uh, those extra teams to, you know, look what happened. This happened before this happened with VCU. No, well, that's the coach K argument that 370 <laughs> teams yeah. should make the tournament. By I the way, the coach Five, <laughs> 538 hot take down endorses that. idea. <laughs> you no, endorse on all yeah, of them. I'm, I'm, I'm not officially part of the company, but, <laughs> at the same time, sort of like what they do in English soccer, run tournaments all year. 
Do, no, don't do that. That's, a bad That's idea. the don't, worst idea I've ever heard. English soccer. <laughs> yeah. Well, all I can say is that there, but for the grace of God, this could have been Duke as the 11 seed. Uh, you know, if they had made it instead of like UCLA, I mean, it was pretty close in, in the final uh, reckoning of things. They could have actually pulled off this run and they could have been poised to make a final four and we would have been real mad about it. And I would have been forced to root for Michigan. Uh, so I'm just glad that didn't happen. I think I think the lesson learned about UCLA and um, just we, we got the pack. 12 really wrong meaning everyone i mean oregon state look at what they did they were picked to be the worst team in the back 12 going into the season and, and it's remarkable yeah i mean we i think i think that's uh, that's the biggest takeaway from this tournament like we didn't know enough about the pack 12 sorry guys we really did not know anything about the, the opposite of, of college football where it's always like the pack 12 is just always a disappointment do you think the the basketball teams of the Pac-12 like are bearing the 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 stigma of the football teams. Is that why we forget the Pac-12 is a thing? Because of their football? Yeah, they haven't won a championship. I mean, Pac-12 hasn't won a championship in Arizona in '97. It's been a, it's and been it's, a I mean, it was bigger than that because uh, didn't the Pac-12 have like a long drought or just a general underperformance in like all college sports? Like yeah. they were running way behind the other conferences in like rowing and you know all of the other <laughs> random rowing. sports why do i always invoke rowing as my example of like random sport yeah all right well we'll find out the rest of our final four tonight and and then our champion um this weekend so exciting but we can leave this here for now we'll take a break and then come back to talk about baseball We're just two days away from the start of a full, honest-to-goodness, 162-game baseball season. Yay! While 2021 won't be completely back to normal, just ask the still-itinerant Toronto Blue Jays, it will be pretty close, and it should let us know how much of the weirdness of last year's abridged season we can chalk up to the pandemic, and how much was just baseball. There's a lot for MLB fans to be excited about this year, from the Dodgers' chances to defend their World Series title to fans finally getting to boo the Astros when they go on the road. But on the Ringers Baseball Barbecue Podcast, Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman talked about a specific reason that Mets fans can be excited going into this season. Jake, why do you think the Mets are the best team in this division? The vibes. Interesting. Never would have said that before this year, but go I ahead. know. <laughs> the vibes, man. It was just a different energy around the Mets. There's hope that I think the the players on the Mets actually seem to like one another. I know that doesn't win championships necessarily, but look, I just think things are looking up in Queens. I this lineup is, I think, the best lineup in the National League. Yeah, I said it. I it's superb again i'm just talking about the offense i think the defense is a big question mark and <laughs> is really kind of bad but as far as putting runs on the board they were the best offense in the national league last year they were number one right and so they only got better so i don't i don't think we account for vibes in our baseball projections which which are live on the site as of today by the way but is there anything quantifiably different about the Mets this year, Jeff? Are they do they have the best lineup in the National League? They might have had the best lineup in the National League last year. And now they have Francisco Lindor. So I mean the problem with the Mets, and this is a big problem, is that the Mets are the Mets. 
<laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and whenever you're talking about the Mets, you have to worry about them doing Mets things, which is finding unique and hilarious ways to break down and implode, which is inevitable. You know, that's probably coming. But right now, I mean, with the best pitcher in baseball and I think the best lineup in at least the NL, yeah, there's something different this year. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean, just statistically, putting aside any um, the vibes and the doom saying or whatever, the Mets were a much better team on paper last year than they actually were like in the standings. Like if you look at base runs, which looks at essentially, you know, all the events that take place, whether on offense or defense and tries to predict how many runs you'll score and allow off of that and then turn that into an expected record. The Mets should have been a 31 and 29 team, which would have made the playoffs. Uh, Instead, they only went 26 and 34. They, They were tied with the Angels and the Orioles for the biggest gap between like actual record and expected record. Uh, and so, there, you know, there's a long history of teams that shortfall in that way uh, one season, turning it around and improving anyway. To your point, Jeff, they, they may have already had uh, the best lineup in the National League last year. They had the second most hitting war of any team. You had Francisco Lindor, you had James McCann. You know, you, you they've definitely made a lot of improvements over the offseason. Taiwan Walker in the um, pitching staff. Trevor May, former twin, Sarah, uh, added to the to the bullpen. And maybe they'll even get Noah Syndergaard back uh, at some point in the middle of the season. So, yeah, I you know, I understand where the, uh, the optimism is coming from. Now, you know, they still only – they're in a really tough division, and we only give them a 55% chance of making the playoffs, even though they have uh, a 5% chance of winning the World Series, which ranks sixth in, in baseball. So it's sort of like – it's the same as last year. And a lot of – I think a lot of what we'll talk about is be, uh, trying to figure out, like, okay, what did we see last year that was real? How much of that do we adjust, you know, from our preseason expectations going into last year even? And, and then – you know, kind of go from there. But the Mets seem like a team that it's justifiable to to increase their expectation versus where we were a year ago. <laughs> uh, good vibes only, Mets fans. All right, well, let's turn our attention to the American League for a second. Neil, which teams improved the most this offseason and, and who looks particularly dangerous? Well, to me, the, the team that improved the most, not just in the American League, but in all of baseball were the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they went out and they got... Uh, George Springer. They got Marcus Simeon uh, to add to what already was a really good lineup. If you look, whether it's Vlad Jr., Kavan Biggio, Bo Bichette, you know, this was already a, a kind of an underrated team. And then you add those guys on top of that. I think they'll also really help them on defense, which was a weakness last year. Uh, and they added Steven Matz to the rotation. Again, going back to our Mets connection, not sure that's a good thing. We'll see. <laughs> uh, and, and they made some changes in the bullpen. But I, I think that that was enough uh, to really improve them. Now, is it enough to make them division favorites? Probably not, because the Yankees do exist, uh, even though they are horribly injury-prone. Uh, 
and they already have Luke Voigt is injured. You know, they already have some injuries kind of uh, coming in there. But on paper, the Yankees are there. And we didn't even talk about the Rays, who are the defending AL champions. And they're a team that the projection systems are kind of all over the place about where you might expect them to go into this season as maybe favorites in that division. But some of the metrics have them being, you know, like an 83-win team. Like Fangraphs has them projected for 83.4 wins. We kind of split all the differences and, and uh, come down, you know, somewhere in between. Uh, we've got them winning 88 games. But, yeah, the, it's, it's a pretty stacked team. Even the Red Sox look better than they did last year. They were another team that horribly underachieved. And, you know, you have to think J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers will be better. Uh, and maybe that will help the Red Sox be like 500-ish. You know, that's a pretty stacked division, though. I think that's right. And it, it it's exciting. I mean, I love seeing that in, in baseball where a team that has been bad for, or at least mediocre for a little while suddenly, you know, goes for it. I think, I think we could use more of that. Not more of it in the AL Central, please. Let's just let the Twins win it. <laughs> well, we've got them favored. You know, they, they're hanging in there. They look just about as good as they did last year, um, which, you know, maybe things will be different in the playoffs, but it was pretty good during the regular season and has been for the past few years. And is, and Nelson Cruz is back, right? And he's 55 he years old. Yeah. He, uh, I think 65. Yeah. He turned yeah. Six, eight, does he turn 60 this year? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Nelson Cruz. I, I forgot Nelson Cruz. Love that guy. Love that kid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so as is tradition here on Hot Takedown, we are going to stake our claims now on who will win it all. That's right, it's March 30th, so it's time for a World Series draft, guys. (laughs) This is a popular returning feature from last year that only we cared about uh, last year, but we cared about it pretty deeply. By we, I mean uh, me and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were a little less so. Although you won, right? The Dodgers. I did did win. I did win, but in two weeks, I definitely will be asking on Slack who's on my team. (laughs) Well, we wouldn't want that uh, any other way. So that does make sense. Okay, so we're going to each draft five teams to make the postseason. We'll keep up with them as the regular season goes on, and we'll remind Jeff who he has. So our producer has randomly selected the order we'll be picking in, and we'll rotate the order each round instead of a snake draft. All right, so to start... Jeff again gets the first pick. Ugh, oh, how did this goodness. happen? I don't how know. did this happen? I don't I think mean, this is random at all. <laughs> I didn't PayPal Sarah seventy five dollars. That'll do prior it prior to recording, but that was just you know a gift. <laughs> Incidental um, expenses. Oh uh, yeah, you can't trace that back. There was there's no paper trail. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna take the Los Angeles Dodgers. Boo, chalk, chalk. You know, I I had to think about it for a while, and then I was like, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think they're a good up-and-coming team. They got some, you know, exciting talent. I have nothing else to say about that. (laughs) That was it. They're loaded. They got Trevor Bauer, friend of 538. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous how how much talent they have on that team. What else do we need to say? I mean, Mookie Betts is wonderful. Um, I think we can all agree with that. Um, okay, so I guess it's my turn. Oh, am I really going to take the Yankees? Oof. Don't do it. <laughs> Just because you want them? <laughs> yeah, that seems, yeah. Um, I did it last year. It didn't work out. It never works out. That's true. Um, Except for the 27 or 8 times. What is it, 28 times it did work out? Yeah. 27 times? Those are ancient history. Only one of those has come since 2000. 
Um, all right, I gotta take the Yankees. They're they're just no. sitting there. They're just sitting there at fourteen percent to win the World Series in our model. Brutal. Um, I you know they're gonna beat the Twins in the playoffs. I may as well take them now. So there, we'll do that. Okay, Yankees. See, this for is me. where we're getting the third pick is just such a disadvantage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with look how many uh, thirty nine percentage points of World Series probability just gone just before gone. I even get a chance. Boy. So I'm gonna take the Padres. Um, I think that I was I was hoping Sarah would take the bait on them. You know, gun to my head, I think they they may have as good or better of a chance than the Yankees. I like this pick, value pick, uh, and of course, you know who doesn't love Tatis? Oh, everybody loves Tatis. And they added you, Darvish. They've added like a lot to the rotation too. Yeah, Blake Snell also. Yeah, Blake Snell. So for the second round, it'll be Neil, Jeff, me. Who you got in this round, Neil? I'm gonna take the Twins. Ugh. I. You know, they're they're a solid pick, and I just feel like this history of abject playoff failure cannot continue indefinitely, and I want to be there for when it turns around. Yeah, I'm going to just stop you right there, Neil, and say that, yes, it can. It definitely can continue <laughs> indefinitely. How many straight – it's like, uh, is it a is it a straight games losing streak or a straight rounds losing streak? I mean, they have, they've been they have swept. both. Yeah, they have yeah, both. Yeah, they've been swept a bunch, right? Yes, it's something like it's tw- it's in the twenties of games swept. I think. All yeah. right. Well, I like good. this. Eventually, things will regress to the mean. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff. Who do you have for this pick? I'm gonna. Uh, okay, I'm gonna just be biased. I'm gonna take the Mets. Yes. I, was, I you know, I, I do believe you gotta believe. You got you. <laughs> you gotta. <laughs> I, I mean the injury. The injury to Carrasco sort of gives me pause. I was really excited about him, but he will be back, hopefully. But I think Pete Alonzo, you know, Dom Smith, there's just too much there. I'm 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 biased. Mets. Mets baseball. It's back. Alright, so with the last pick of the second round, I am going to take I I'm gonna take the Astros. You know I, I hope they can get back to their cheating ways. That does seem to be to work better for them. Uh, I hope I assume they've figured out a new plan. So um, I'm going to take them and, and and enjoy all the booze they get in. Opposing. I like that. Yeah, I like that lottery uh, ticket that you just took because they are like one of the weirdest teams. Uh, I think of all the ones anybody is trying to project for this year where it's like, after the season they had sub 500. Oh yeah, they have the fourth best World Series odds and you know, they're they're well regarded by all the projection systems. They I guess it's just you look at those 60 games and you're just like, yeah, we have a longer track record from before that to call upon. Yeah, I I think they're yeah, they're they're going to be really interesting. I mean, they're kind of aging and it's just and you the, Altuve was awful. Altuve was awful, and you at really, one point he forgot how to throw. <laughs> you really don't know how much the the scandal has affected them, in terms of both like taking away their ability to cheat, but also they're like just in their heads about trying to overcome it. You don't have this like groundswell of outrage that was seemed to be bubbling to the surface last year before COVID hit. Yeah, um, we've had other everyone's like, oh, we the winners of the pandemic. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Yeah. Will, 
question. Nothing will make you forget a baseball scandal like a global pandemic. Yeah, that's a. I've I actually have that cross stitched um and hanging on my wall. Yeah, that's a. That's a <laughs> Can I have a little Astros logo? Sure. Yeah, I yeah, want yeah. that embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> I'll, I'll get right on that for you. All right. Um, in the third round, it's gonna go me, Neil, Jeff. So I get the sandwich pick here, and I'm gonna go with Tampa. I, uh, I, I, you know, they retool every year with their, with all the players that got too expensive gone and then their new players they can sort of uh, exploit on their, <laughs> on their lower contracts. So I'll go with the raise there. Uh, Neil. All right. I am going to take the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think that it's kind of a no brainer. Uh, uh, this is sort of like in that tier of teams, we've sort of taken all of the other uh, top contenders. Uh, so I'm glad they were still just sitting there. And uh, yeah, that team, maybe with all the Mets attention uh, that Jeff has contributed to in this very podcast, the Braves have kind of flown under the radar, despite the fact that they won that division last year. They have the defending NL MVP, and they also have Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna and Ozzy Albies and, you know, just this ridiculous. They even added Charlie Morton to a rotation that was really bad, uh, or at least like very thin last year, at least. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm liking their chances. Nice. All right, Jeff. I don't like this pick. Because it feels too trendy. But I'm going to take the Chicago White Sox. Aww. All right, so you get another pick. You'll you'll lead off the fourth round. It goes Jeff, me, Neil. God, I'm going to take both trendy teams. I, I hate my team already. I'll, I'll take the Blue Jays. <laughs> I feel like both of these teams are going to disappoint. And I agree that the AL East is a nightmare, especially if Boston remembers to play some sort of semblance of Major League Baseball. <laughs> you know, there's no easy outs except for the Orioles. Uh, so... You know, we'll go on upside. Hopefully it comes through, even though it's not going under the radar. A lot of people are talking about the Blue Jays. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you you're, you don't need to fool us. Um, <laughs> it's a, no, good, it's a I, good pick. I kind of need to fool you, but okay. <laughs> All right. I am going to take the Milwaukee Brewers. I, uh, you know, they... Did not have a great season last year, though. They still made the playoffs. Um, but I, I'm intrigued by this team this year. Well, I think Christian Yelich, I mean, I just, I have to uh, chalk up last season to just a, a, a slump, right? Um, he's just such a good player. I've got to believe he's going to snap out of it. So, all right. Brewers for me. Who you got, Neil? I think the Oakland A's, I'm going to take them. I feel like they're kind of underrated. Uh, certainly our model only has them winning 84 games and only gives them a 36% chance to make the playoffs. I'm taking the over on that. Um, I, I think that this is a team that you know generally finds a way to you know make it work. And Matt Chapman was out for a lot of the year last year. He'll be back. He seems like he's doing fine in, in spring training. So, yeah, I feel like they're underrated right now. Yeah, I like that pick. I think that's a solid pick. All right, final round. Neil, Jeff, Sarah. Ooh, the sandwich. All right, now this is an area where we really are sort of taking some flyers on teams, um, and there's there's a lot of cons on all these teams. There's some pros, but there's also some cons. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is really tough. I am going to take... The Washington Nationals. Yeah. I'm going to take them. Yeah, that's a good That's pick. a team that was absolute trash last year, and pretty much everybody was either hurt or underwhelmed or both. And I feel like they have strong bounce-back potential this year. And, of course, the model thinks that because the model, as we saw with the Astros, 
just apparently doesn't think 2020 happened mm-hmm. uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, you know, the, they, mo- the model is all of us, really. Let's just forget last the year. The model happened. is us all. But, you know, they added Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell. That's another uh, guy that has bounce back potential. John Lester in the rotation. Brad Hand uh, at closer. So they've gotten better. And they're a little like Milwaukee, I think. Uh, they, they added some folks to get better and also some just improvement should happen just by regressing back to the previous form. They won the last full season World Series championship. We we should we should say that. Yeah. Just just throw out that Dodger one entirely. <laughs> right. Uh okay, Jeff, who do you have for your last pick? I mean, the the logical pick would be the St. Louis Cardinals, but they're just too St. Louis Cardinally for me to take them as in they're boring. and consistent i'm gonna take this and then i'm gonna dedicate this pick to neil neil Payne, as opposed to who (laughs) i'm gonna stay with stay with the east coast bias here from the west coast and take the philadelphia phillies whoa see i was thinking about that i I like where your head's at obviously they had the uh a bullpen problem as in the worst bullpen in the history of baseball but they they addressed that this year you know, they they brought in some new guys. It can't can't get worse, literally. Um, they brought back Real Mudo. You know, maybe Harper uh, can fly under the radar as and be a MVP talent again, if that's possible. You know, same caveats with the East divisions, but I, I could see them or the Nationals popping and surprising people in that division. All right, so the last pick is mine. Um, this is actually a little trickier than I thought it would be. Uh, I am. I was looking between the Indians and the Angels. I just at some point the Angels have to have to <laughs> win a, a, a playoff game. You'd think. Right? You'd think with literally the best player yeah. uh, of his generation, if not ever, right in their lineup. Yeah. Plus a really cool guy that can pitch and hit. Yeah. Come on. Um, I know he's so, he's been doing well in spring. People are are getting excited. All right. You guys have, you, you guys have talked me into it. I'll take the angels, 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 leave the Indians on, on, on the table. Take it. You didn't want to take the Indians anyway. Like, did you want to root for them? I mean, root for them. No hedge my bets. Yes. But no, the angels are no fun. You didn't even look at the Cardinals. (laughs) I did not look at the Cardinals. No. Yeah. All right. Well, we got our teams. So I guess. So who are the snubs? I mean, this is where we want to look at. Obviously, the Cardinals are very mad at the selection committee. The Indians, they were left out. The Cardinals. Going, going by World Series yeah. odds, it would be Cardinals. Followed by the Reds, interestingly. Do they know Trevor Bauer's gone? <laughs> uh, they probably know that in Vegas. They tend to do their homework. Uh, and the Indians, Cubs, Marlins. Uh, yeah, the Marlins are a weird team. Yeah, none of the models like them. I mean, if we had, if we were doing, you know, a twenty-four team draft, I would have, I would have, like we did last year. Yeah, the Marlins would have been my my dark horse, but at only fifteen, we didn't need to didn't need to to dig that deep. <laughs> I think we basically got anybody. I mean, let this come back and haunt me when the team, the, some of the snub teams, literally win the World Series. But I was gonna say, I think we got all the teams that that will reasonably win the World Series. I think at that's this right. point. I think that's right. All right. Well, the only thing there is to do now is to start playing baseball. So we can leave this here for now. We'll take a quick break and be back for our rabbit hole of the week. 
538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. What do you have for us, Neil? Let's talk about something that we all knew was coming, but we sort of got confirmation of on Sunday, which was the fact that the NFL is expected to expand its regular season schedule from 16 to 17 games. Adam Schefter tweeted about it over the weekend, uh, and it was a move that was met with displeasure from a lot of NFL <laughs> players. Alvin Kamara of the Saints said on Twitter, quote, shit dumb as hell, end quote. <laughs> Torrey Smith, who is retired, he uh, he was a little more diplomatic, but he said that they're going to have to adjust practices and what a regular offseason looks like. Dudes were already falling apart, playing 16 games. As a whole, this is great, but adjustments have to be made. Well, for us as fans and observers, we're going to have to make adjustments of our own. Won't someone please think of us in this process? <laughs> they never do. They, they never, never do. do. Uh, as Schefter noted in his tweet, the NFL had previously gone 43 straight seasons without a plan change to the number of games on the schedule, which was easily the longest period without a change in the history of the league. So multiple generations of fans have grown up knowing only 16 game schedules and so this 17 game schedule will require some small but real recalibrations of our internal football clock for one thing the start or end date of the season is going to have to change now because you're trying to cram uh, an extra game into the the same number of weeks uh, so since the move will likely coincide with a reduction in preseason games from four to three it is possible that week one will fall a week earlier than usual and they'll just use that week for week one of the regular season last year that would have put opening night on september 3rd which is reasonable to start a football season on in 2019 though backing things up by a week would have started the season on august 29th in 1997 which was the earliest that i could find at least in kind of recent history starting things a week earlier would have set opening day on sunday august 24th obviously that is unacceptably early for pro football and i kind of doubt the league will take the stick it on the front end approach anyway because they've said they don't want to uh, have week one of the regular season fall over labor day weekend i guess because people are sort of outside enjoying their lives rather than being parked on the couch in front of the tv so their ratings would suffer if they put it on labor day weekend the other alternative of course is to push Super Sunday back by a week and, and end the season a week later, which would have put Super Bowl 55 on February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. And that would have also been the same date in 2015 and 2009. It's just about as late as it gets if you push things back, by, uh, you know, push things forward by a week in time and tack on an extra week at the end of the season. But either way, our conception of when football happens is going to have to change very slightly. We'll also have to recalibrate what makes for a good season when we're looking at stats. So a benchmark like a thousand yard season rushing or receiving, that actually becomes 1,063 yards in 17 games. If you have 20 touchdowns rushing or 20 sacks, it's now a 21 sack season is like a big deal uh, in, in a 17 game season. Those are pretty small changes. But when you get into some of the passing benchmarks, which are just generally larger, you start to see it kind of make a difference. So 4,000 yards in a season becomes 4,250 and a 40 touchdown season becomes 43 touchdowns. So basically for any stat threshold that we kind of think of as being like, oh, this guy's having a 1,000 yard season, we're going to have to bump it up a little bit or we run the risk of overrating 
pedestrian performances, and we can't have that. It will also be easier for records to fall, like the top end of the performance spectrum if we don't adjust. For instance, Peyton Manning's all-time passing record in a season is 5,477 yards, but in a 17-game schedule, that would be 5,819 yards. That's a kind of a big difference. Uh, you, you could easily see someone getting to 5,477 in a 17-game schedule. Will we have to put an asterisk on that? Will we prorate? Probably won't. Leagues don't like to do that. 55 touchdown passes. That's also the record. That should be adjusted up to 58. Michael Thomas had 149 catches in a season. That needs to be bumped up to 158 catches in 17 games to have a fair comparison. And again, we cannot allow runaway stat inflation to go unnoticed in this expanded schedule. What are we doing here? We're going to have to readjust to what team records look like. This is going to be kind of weird. In 17 games, a 10-win season is the equivalent of going 9-7. and under the normal 16 game. So basically there, the rule of thumb I found was that for any win total over eight, just knock a win off of it to get its old equivalent in terms of having the same winning percentage. So you, you might see a 13 or 12 win season. And you're like, Ooh, that's impressive. Well, it's only 11 or 12 wins. You know, you gotta, you gotta take it down a notch. This is really weird. A 500 record barring ties now is impossible. If you don't have a tie, this is very basic math. An odd number of games can't be split evenly between wins and losses. So the truly mediocre teams like the Detroit Lions from a few years back, they'll have to either go nine and eight or eight and nine. They cannot go eight and eight unless they go like eight, eight and one, which is possible. <laughs> We've seen ties recently and perhaps an increasing number of ties since they shortened overtime. But still, it's going to be weird to like have that odd number. And there's a reason it feels weird to have an odd number of games because it just tends to not happen. The NFL played 15 game schedules in 1987, but that was only because of the player strike, which happened after week two. And of course, replacement players were used for three of the 15 remaining games. So really you only had 12 games and even number using the real players. Although I should say the three replacement player games did count toward the standings. In 1982, the NFL played nine games apiece because of yet another strike. But before that, the last time that they played an odd number of games was in 1946. They played an 11 game schedule and that was actually deliberate, which is really rare because if you think about it, Basically, no leagues use an odd number schedule, or at least they haven't in a long time. The NBA basic schedule is 82 games. They're playing 72 this year in a pandemic, still an even number. The NHL plays 82 games, or this year, 56 games in the pandemic, still even. MLB plays 162, or last year in the pandemic, they played 60 still even. Historically, the NHL has never played an odd-numbered schedule games in any season in its entire history. The NBA played 81 games in 1967, 79 games in 1961, and 75 games in 1960, but those were really the only cases of them playing odd-numbered schedules. MLB in 1981, they played an average of 107 games per team, but again, that was because of a strike. And in 1972, they played on average 155 games, but that was because of another strike. So really the standard uh, before expansion was 154 games uh, for baseball. Uh, and sometimes teams averaged a little more than that because there were like makeup games that counted toward team stats, but not toward your 
wins and losses, but generally they kept it even. And that's because of simple math, uh, especially in those days, there were eight teams in each league and they needed to play 22 games against each opponent, 11 at home, 11 on the road. So seven times 22, seven, because you can't play yourself instead of being eight, seven times 22 is 154. That's where the 154 game schedule came from. Uh, And really sports leagues as a very kind of hard and fast rule they try to maintain that home and road schedule balance which means that you will have even games because anytime you multiply an even number by any other number you get an even number uh, of games that's that's math but the NFL is going to mess that up next season because they will have by necessity in the 17 game schedule some group of teams will have one more home game than road game and another group of teams will have one more road game than home games. And the way they're doing it is by conference, which I guess is the best way you can because so that it doesn't mess up the playoff picture too much. AFC teams next year will all have one more home game than NFC teams, and then it flips back uh, in the other direction for 2022. Anyway, these are just some of the things to consider as the NFL crams in that 17th game. I personally feel like it's a case of too much of a good thing, although maybe a little bit of that is just because I hate change and especially hate things that mess with my precious, precious statistics and benchmarks. But whether we like it or not, the 17-game era appears to be at hand, so we'll just need to accept it and learn to live with it until, of course, the next big change arrives and they expand to an 18-team schedule or a 19-game. Who knows? That 18 games is probably not that far off, right? If you, if not, if half of the league doesn't get that extra home game i feel like i feel like that it'll change fast that they'll switch it and and add another game so that everyone does have have that ninth home game and it could be setting the tone for expansion too you know thinking about like trying to kind of expand the number of teams although that would be an odd number of teams which is also weird the nhl has an odd number of teams right now but they're expanding to 32 all of the other leagues have either 30 or 32 right now so that could be happening but again even there when you multiply it by an even number you still get an even number schedule i i hate this as well and i was really trying to evaluate why because like it's not like you know if i were a player i'd hate it even more obviously because of the just extra wear and tear but like why do i hate that extra game so much i just you know you you like know how to think about a league you know how to think about a team and that is all going to change and i really and it and for no good reason that's and that's yeah nobody why I really asked hate it. for this no. i think that's the big thing is like the fans like, oh, didn't no, not the players didn't right yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i guess maybe there's some fans that are like oh i'd like to have yeah, obviously we all agree the preseason is kind of worthless ex- sure. unless unless you're um friend of the show Sage Rosenfels right. who was the Tom Brady <laughs> of the preseason and right, right. probably loved those games or Tom Brady uh, is the Sage Rosenfels of the regular season oh I, think is what you mean. I yeah, like yeah. what you did well unfortunately <laughs> that means he'll have another extra game to be the Sage Rosenfels of the regular season starting next year I think yeah. this is all a conspiracy just to get Tom Brady to break Drew Brees's record give him more chances uh, to get the yardage record back. No, I don't think that. I, no, I, I think <laughs> that's If anything, true. an old man would fare worse in one extra game, and Tom Brady's oh. very anxious at this point. That's They tell us that, but we can't, we've seen no evidence to, to support that yet. Yeah, I do think you're right that this is all about keeping Drew Brees down in our um, long running now. 
We have to talk about Drew Brees every rabbit hole. Devote every show to pumping up Drew Brees' brand because he needs it, apparently. Next, we'll talk about the battle between Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers on the Chargers for the starting (laughs) quarterback job on the 2005 San Diego Chargers. I mean, you joke, but that definitely could be a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get more confirmation on some of the details of the of the NFL's expanded um, schedule soon, I would hope. I would have to assume they'll, they'll be putting out the schedules soon. But yeah, we'll have to recalibrate everything as we go. Ugh, hate it. Hate it, Neil. I hate it. 11 wins is the new 10 wins. <laughs> All right, that will do it for this week's show. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Mellon. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.